Hey, hey, happy Wednesday to you. Good morning to you if you're just waking up. We're glad to have you with us. Thank you for your questions for Ask Amy Anything. Jay was really happy with them. Uh, He was thrilled that we had some questions come in right under the wire, and those were some unique questions as well. Uh, Friendly tip, I will not ever tell you who wins the Super Bowl, who wins the Stanley Cup, if I believe this team or that team is legit. And I will also never answer the question of who are your least favorite teams or what are your least favorite sports to watch? You know I can't do that, right? (laughs) I've worked hard to build credibility and be appealing across the country. I can't sit here then and tell you, and it's not even true. There are no sports that I don't like except for UFC and MMA. I just, I can't watch those personal combat sports. I really have a hard time, but, but they're not mainstream enough for me to talk about them on the show really anyway. But every other sport, I, uh, I can find an appeal in, even soccer. I'm constantly trying to sell you guys on soccer and people shout me down. Um, and so, yeah, I'm never going to tell you which teams or sports I don't like. That's just not even a, that's not even a question that you should submit because Jay will never ask. My other favorite ones are like, who will win this weekend, Steelers or Eagles? I'm like, why? <laughs> like, let's just dissect this one game in this segment. Like, <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> I do very often go back. Almost every week I go back and I answer as many questions as I can, whether it's on Twitter, A-Law Radio, or on our Facebook page. I always go back and I uh, will jot down quick answers, right? So I'm not going to answer questions that require a novel or that require a full blog post. But if I can answer them quickly and succinctly, I will. So make sure you go back and look on either Twitter or Facebook and there should be some answers there and and, uh, some fun exchanges always as part of the Hump Show. We're live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours, Rocket Mortgage can help you get there. For home loan solutions that fit your life, Rocket can. Producer Jay and I have a partially carved pumpkin here in studio. She has a name. Do I need to say had a name? Are we, we're, we're, I think she's, she's still hanging dearly on. departed. No, she's hanging on. I thought we cut out her heart though with, with those well, little scoopers of yours. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess technically, but. So I'm not big into pumpkin seeds, but man, those were some beautiful pumpkin seeds. She was a very healthy pumpkin until we stabbed her. Very plentiful. I actually stabbed her. I've never seen a pumpkin (laughs) cry before. It was an accident. I'm sorry. I almost said her name. I was going to address her. I can't. You're going to have to watch the video to get her name. Uh, Jay told me not to name her. I didn't listen. Why don't I listen to Jay? I was practicing with one of the tools that he purchased, and I accidentally stabbed her, and she cried. Did you know pumpkins cry? I didn't. And now I learned that. And you that, can vouch for it, though. Oh, she actually cried. She was tearing. Yeah, she legitimately <laughs> cried. It was It was sad. It was. it was sad. So before the show, yeah, you think we're out there talking about football. Nope. We were first recording our very latest episode of the Stairway to 7 series, Halloween candy. Because who doesn't love Halloween candy? We all do. And actually, judging by the hundreds of responses we've gotten in the first three hours of the show, you all are dreaming about Halloween candy just as much as we are. So on Twitter, on Facebook, tell us your top three Halloween candies. We have recorded our Stairway to 7 episode with seven steps to get to the very top of the best, most coveted, most desired Halloween candy. I got the last step. I was afraid Jay was going to steal it. 
I, re- I really was. I was nervous. I thought I should actually put it on step three before he got to step two because I wanted to get it out before he did. But he went a completely different direction. So that will be available later today on our YouTube channel, After Hours, AmyLawrence.com. Jay loves YouTube. Uh, I don't know why I let him talk me into things like carving a pumpkin. I mean, I'm wearing orange. I match the pumpkin. They're orange tools. There's a video. I'm just, why? Why do I let you talk me into these things? I think the orange really got you. <laughs> you think the orange the or- the got orange me? Helped. The orange helped. I also gave you some of my favorite foods to make out of pumpkin <laughs> while Jay was carving the pumpkin. <laughs> I'm almost afraid to go back and watch this video because I just, I was delirious with sadness over the fact that I made the pumpkin cry. No joke. I, I'm not lying to you. The pumpkin actually cried. You're going to see it on video. That noise is going to like haunt my dreams or my nightmares for the noises, the noise that it, that she made. <laughs> after getting stabbed and crying. But, but I'm telling you, those pumpkin seeds were pretty. We threw them all out, and now I don't know what to do with the pumpkin. Jay and I were actually having a conversation. He said he would take her and put her next to his trash can, which is code for I'm going to throw her away. Near. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I I feel like I could put her back on my stoop where she was. She was decorating the neighborhood in my yard, but I don't animals aren't animals gonna climb in the pumpkin i would think some animals would mice well will that pumpkin attract mice mice deer maybe like some i don't know chipmunks or squirrels maybe i should put it out on the sidewalk but then dogs are walking but i don't dogs are gonna pee on the pumpkin if she's out on the sidewalk that's not happening maybe we should just leave it in the trash can here at the at work at the office she needs more she deserves a more dignified Does she? Send off than that, I think. Fine. Are you going to take her home and put her near your trash can? That's very (laughs) dignified. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's not. You're the the worst human ever when it comes to pumpkins. I'm a pumpkin. I will make pumpkin s'mores and you'll eat them like there's no tomorrow. But you have no more kindness for the pumpkin. I'm saying we should give it a proper send off. By doing what? I haven't thought of that proper send off yet. I haven't had to ever um, lay to rest a pumpkin. You laughed when I stabbed her initially. Just admit it. (laughs) I mean. Just because it was so unexpected, the noise and like the juices and the, it was honestly like sad. It really was. What is wrong with us? <laughs> she was crying. She was, she did. She actually cried. Can't make it up. No. I mean, when did you see this video? Also, the video will be, it will be uh, the revelation of her name. I, that's that's the tease. I can't tell you what her name is. You're just going to have to wait to see her cry. And I guess at some point we'll figure out what to do with her. It's after hours. with. It does smell like pumpkin in the studio, by the way. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence here on CBS Sports Radio. Hey, something happened last night in sports that has never happened before. Are you ready? First time in 759 career games for Clay Thompson. But we've never seen it until last night. And now we've got Booker and Clay Thompson each getting with fouls. And, and Clay is upset. He, he might be kicked out. No, he? no, they both gave him technical fouls. Okay. And we've got words here at center court. Steph Curry's involved. And of course, Chris Paul's in the middle of that. You would expect that. <laughs> and now Clay has come now, back out. He's gone. Clay, he threw out Curry. 
Ed Malloy just threw out Curry. No. I believe so. He pointed. He threw out somebody. It's either Clay or Curry. <laughs> he threw out somebody. I don't know which. Well, let's see. It's Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson's been ejected from the game. So. For the first time in 759 career games, regular season and playoff, Clay Thompson got ejected for picking up two technicals. What are you, Draymond Green? No, no, no. This is a rare occurrence for Clay. And actually, Steve Kerr has indicated that Clay's pretty frustrated right now, that he's actually not surprised with the fact that he was on edge and he's just, he started the season in a bit of a funk. He doesn't love uh, that they're keeping him on a minutes restriction. And so as you hear with Tim Roy and Jim Barnett on Warriors radio, he and Devin Booker, yep, 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 yapping. There was a little bit of contact, some extracurricular activity. Of course, Draymond got a technical earlier in the game. So he's in the middle of the two of them. He's clapping loudly like he does. That's so annoying. Uh, you've also got Steph who's talking. And, and Steph actually had to hold back Clay Thompson when he was ejected from the game. And he's still yelling as he's walking off the court and, and yelling back at the Suns bench and waving at him with his four fingers up in the air to signify the four championship rings. Now, Devin Booker definitely got the last laugh. Uh, but man, this was the highlight. Well, highlight. This was... The scene stealer between the Warriors and the Suns. Moody waiting with it. Lobs it in the corner to Booker. Ten seconds on the shot clock. Booker against Jerome. Booker waiting. Booker moving. Three seconds to shoot it. Booker fade away from 15. Swish! It's good. 34 points for D. Booker. 126-101. Al McCoy on Suns Radio. So, yes, Booker has the last laugh. He shoots the lights out uh, and ends up with a a real strong performance. 34 points. DeAndre Ayton had a double-double as well. And so the Suns racked up 134 points on the Warriors. Uh, The the guys have noted they're not playing great defense. The Suns are out to a 3-1 and start. But this game was marked more by the fact that you had multiple players who were losing their cool in that third quarter. Tempers boiled over, and there are a, a ton of technical fouls called in under six minutes there in the third quarter, resulting in, for one, Clay Thompson's ejection. So, Steve Kerr recognizes that Clay is is not super comfortable and not real happy with the way the season started. Love the fire. Clay is uh, is an incredible competitor, and uh, we need his energy. We need his fire, and it's it's all going to work out for him. It's all going to come. It's just uh, it's going to take some time. And I love Clay Thompson, and I have from the beginning. You know, from the draft coming out, I said I want to be Clay Thompson. You know, that doesn't excuse us from competing against each other and, and talking a little mess with each other. So I have fun with it. <laughs> Big fan of his and his and his competitive nature, um, and that's that. It's frustration. You know, I've been there before, and you know what they have. They have the four rings, so you know they're gonna they're gonna use that in in all the trash talk, rightfully so, um, respectfully. But I don't have nothing to do with competing. So Devin Booker says, I don't mind if we're talking a little mess. I like how he says that. Maybe that's not the word or one of the words that he was using on the court. 
But going back and forth with Clay Thompson, I mean, it's good for the game. These are two very strong defenders. Clay, before he got hurt, was one of the best two-way guards in the league. Uh, and so he's going to find a rhythm, and he's going to get comfortable. Uh, but this fire from him, Kerr does not mind. Uh, so Devin Booker, you hear him at the press conference, but prior to that on TNT. As for the Warriors, it's Amazing how the Draymond versus Jordan Poole thing just disappeared once the game started. Uh, But for Jordan Poole, he's got the new contract, fully committed, of course. They're trying to defend this championship, but no team starts out the year ready to win a title, especially when you had to play so deep into the season last year. And so you're not going to get any of these guys to talk about worry or panic or anxiety. Nah, it's way too early. It's early, still figuring a lot of stuff out, figuring rotations out, figuring all types of things out. So I don't see many growing pains per se. Everybody got to get better. Everybody's rounding in the form, and, you know, that'll, it takes time. That's Dre. <laughs> Dre and Jordan Poole and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Uh, you've got guys there that now, Andrew, Andrew Wiggins as well, guys that, along with the coaching staff, recognize where they have to be when the bright lights come on. And it's, yeah, it's way early in the season. So uh, I, I don't know that anybody at this point should be nervous about a slow start, even if, you know, like the Sixers just picked up their first win on what was it, Monday night. And then the Lakers are still winless too. So it's just, it's a little bit like the NFL. Now the length of the season is different, but you have so much time to be able to make up ground, uh, especially when you think about the teams around you. Just, yeah, settle in. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. Speaking of marathon, speaking of streaks, speaking of a long, long, long time, well, those are all ways that you could describe the Iron Man accomplishment of one Phil Kessel. Stick handled into the circle, but then he lost it on the reach back, and here comes Vegas. Kessel against Bennett, gets behind him, shoots, he scores! Kessel racing down the left wing after the Sharks were defended in the defensive zone and Kessel moves on Benning, snaps home his 400th National Hockey League goal and Vegas takes a 1-0 lead in dramatic fashion. Not just a milestone, but a flair for the dramatic on what was the night in which he became the Iron Man of the NFL. Phil Kessel, who's now 35 years old, he's played everywhere from Boston to Toronto to Arizona to I know I'm missing some in there now, obviously, with the Vegas Golden Knights, Pittsburgh. Yes, thank you, Producer Jay. Uh, He actually only needed nine months to pass the previous Iron Man, Uh, and so he had tied tied him in the last game, Uh, and now when he is playing with the Golden Knights in San Jose, uh, becomes the man with the longest consecutive game streak in NHL history. So passes Keith Yandel, who, as I say, uh, only had that record for nine months. He just retired before the start of this season, so it was Phil's to break. Uh, The streak began November 3rd, so we're getting close to the anniversary. November 3rd, 2009. Hasn't missed a game in nearly 13 years. That's phenomenal. 990 consecutive games. The call there on Sharks Radio with Dan Rusinowski. The game is taking place in San Jose. They actually did play a tribute to him uh, once 
they had a stoppage in play. And then to boot, he scores his 400th career goal. What a night for Kessel, who was there on the bench when he got interviewed by ESPN. I always say I like to play, so I try to play no matter what. And, uh, you know, I still have fun with it. So what goes through your mind today as you reach this milestone? I mean, not that much. Obviously, I played a long time. I'm getting old. Uh, you know, I had a fun time doing it. And, uh, you know, a lot of games. So Kessel breaks the record, and we'll see what he adds to it. But congratulations to the Cal Ripken of the NHL. And at 35 years old, he's still got some time as long as he stays healthy. And that's part of the deal. It's not just the commitment, the determination, the love for the game. At times, playing hurt. uh, At times, playing through pain. But recognizing uh, that your teammates and and the game itself, these opportunities – You're not going to have them forever. And it's one of the things I love about older athletes. And here he is in his mid-30s. He's seen a lot of his contemporaries retire. Uh, He understands that the days are nearing an end. And you come come face-to-face with your own sports mortality. And older players tend to appreciate the opportunities a little more and don't take them for granted. All right, it's our hump show. If you want to... Weigh in on Halloween candy because why not? Uh, we're getting close to Halloween weekend. You can do that on Twitter, A Law Radio, and then also on our Facebook page. Glad to have you with us. You can do this. You can conquer your hump day. After Hours CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. You're listening to After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Firing for the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. Touchdown. Takes it himself to the pylon. One man to beat him. He's gone. They throw the end zone. Cut. Touchdown. Hey, the guy missed. He's inside the five. He's to the three to one. Stops the center zoning into the end zone. Touchdown. The people have spoken, and one score stands above the rest. Here is your TD of the week. The Seattle Seahawks. First and 10, toss to Walker, goes right side, has a little running room, Parkinson out front. Here comes up the sideline, he's on the run, 40, down to the 30, are they going to catch him? I don't think so, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Seahawks, 74 yards. I feel like we're just coming together. We're showing everybody we're coming together and, you know, we're working. Um, You know, like I always say, we go back and watch film and, you know, prepare for the the next week. And I feel like we're just going to continue to grind and continue to get better. You have to agree that the Seattle Seahawks are a revelation in the season. It's pretty phenomenal the way that Pete Carroll has been able to coach them up, the way they've been able to draft, and Kenneth Walker is part of that. Kenneth Walker the third actually, played his college football at Wake Forest in Michigan State, uh, highly decorated in 21, won the Walter Camp and the Doak Walker Awards, and the way that he has made... The most of this opportunity, even early on, is really impressive. So your choice for TD of the week, his 64-yarder that helped to seal the Seahawks' victory. Their fourth of the year, get them above 500. They are the only team in the NFC West above 500, which is pretty crazy. (laughs) At this point in the season, Kenneth has 411 yards and four touchdowns, including that one. Uh, Did I say 64 yards? I meant 74 yards. Sorry about that. Uh, The call there was Steve Rabel on Seahawks radio. Uh, He's also got a handful of catches, though no touchdowns through the air. 
I kind of feel like that's got to be in his future at some point. It's been a lot of fun to see what he can do uh, right out of the gate for the Seahawks. And they're playing with wild abandon, right? They've got nothing to lose. Uh, They've got everything to gain. There are zero expectations. There will start to be more attention on them. Uh, But Pete Carroll is one of the best coaches in the NFL. Uh, You may not think so, and the the last couple of years have been challenging. They've been in the midst of transition. I wouldn't call it rebuilding necessarily. I would say they've kind of been reloading. They've been, you know, deciding where to best spend their money. Uh, But for him to be able to get the most out of his players is never a question. That's, That's what he does, and he's been doing it for a long time. Even when he has talent that doesn't necessarily measure up with other teams in his division, other teams in his conference. Uh, They're always challenging. Last year, they lost Russell Wilson for a stretch. He was injured. And then when he came back, he came back too soon. That was fairly obvious that the connection there between Russ and Pete Carroll, it wasn't the same. And I think if you look back now, the general consensus is that the Seahawks were not interested in giving him the fat contract extension that he wanted, the contract extension that the Broncos gave to Russell Wilson. And while it's very early, certainly seems like Pete Carroll and John Schneider made the right call because at this point, maybe Russ does settle in when he gets healthy. Maybe there is some consistency, the adjustments they take, um, the, the offense starts to gel in Denver. But right now, it's literally dead last in the league in points per game. And Russ didn't start this past weekend. Pete's been preaching about Geno Smith all along. People scoffed. Team sport, though, right? And he's got everybody all in. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Thanks for voting for the TD of the Week. It's one of our weekly polls, and all of our polls originate on our show Twitter, After Hours CBS. Uh, so Aaron Rodgers, speaking of big surprises, uh, just the wrong kind of surprise, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, they've dropped three games in a row, most recently to the Washington Commanders, and it does not get any easier coming up in week number eight. They've got a Sunday night date with the Buffalo Bills, and it could be messy. It could be ugly. Rodgers, similar sentiments to what we heard from Tom Brady on his Let's Go podcast on Monday. Not only did I listen to it live and I was sharing some of his sentiments on Twitter, but then we played some of those clips from Brady on our Monday night show. Well, now Aaron does his weekly appearance with Pat McAfee and he's saying a lot of the same stuff. It really jumped out at me. So Bucks have dropped four or five. Packers have lost three in a row. They're both below 500, which is definitely unexpected. And Pat asked Aaron, what did the Washington defense do that kept your offense so so out of sync and off kilter? They didn't have to do anything. They played, they rushed four guys. They played cover four. They sprinkled a couple weak inserts and a couple man coverages. And that was it. So what do you think it is? They got good players. They got good players. But as far as like schematically, what did they do? Well, I mean, they have a nice front. They have a lot of first rounders in that front. They got a good uh, you know, good linebackers, good on the back end. But we had so many uh just mental errors and mistakes. It's just it's not the kind of football we're used to playing. 
you can hear how annoyed he is. I don't know that he's frustrated, but you can hear how annoyed, how he is with the way they've been playing right now. He does say that he's not worried. He believes the season can be spared, I I guess is a good way to put it. Uh, The season's not over. and, And again, same thing from Tom Brady, really same thing from any team that's right there in the middle. There's so much mediocrity, especially in the NFC. When you you look at the NFC standings, it's so glaring. Three teams in the East Division, Eagles, Giants, Cowboys, have winning records. The Vikings, hey now, <laughs> is Kirk Cousins the most consistent quarterback out there? Kirk Cousins and the Vikings are 5-1, and one, and the Seahawks are 4-3. and three. So out of 16 teams, only five of them have winning records, which means pretty much every team is still alive for a playoff spot. The entire NFC West, I mean the South, because the Bucks and Falcons are leading the division at three and four, that automatically means the Panthers and Saints are still alive. Maybe the Lions are out of it. I, I mean, five teams out of 16 that are above 500, which means, yes, the Packers and Bucks can still not just make the playoffs, but win their divisions. So Aaron then very plainly says, this is up to the guys on the field. Yes, the coaches can try to put us in the right positions. They can draw up a a strong game plan, but ultimately it's up to us. We're the ones who are screwing up on the field. And I would say this is Aaron Rodgers laying down the gauntlet or at least serving notice that stuff could change. Guys who are making too many mistakes shouldn't be playing. Got to start cutting some reps. And maybe guys who aren't playing... Give them a chance. Guys who are making too many mistakes, bench their asses. I'm paraphrasing. With Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee. He does say he trusts them and he believes that they can turn this around. As I say, the the season can be spared, can be saved, but it's about us. And I said this earlier. I truly believe it. It's one of my things about sports. It's actually one of the things I love about sports is that losing an adversity expose what's underneath can either highlight the leadership and how strong that leadership is, how connected the locker room, how much they care, how they buy in. And certainly you need leaders, but you also need followers or it can do the opposite. It can expose your lack of leadership. Rogers and Brady future hall of famers. That's unquestioned. Last year, they were the top two MVP candidates and Rogers won a second in a row. What we've always known about these guys is that they have the ability to raise the level of play of everybody else around them. Is it all on them that their team stink right now? No, not even remotely close. But it should be on their shoulders, and I believe that these are the kind of guys that will take it on themselves. They got to lead. And then the other guys have to be willing to follow their voices, their wisdom, their experience. Certainly their track records. But this is where the... Who hits the fan, if you will. I suppose rubber meets the road is maybe a nicer way of saying it, but I I think the poo is hitting the fan for the Bucks and the Packers, to be sure, as we head into week number eight. Whoa. Last weekend of October. Whoa. All right, coming up, a snippet of our conversation with longtime NFL referee and CBS Sports Rules analyst Gene Sterator. He's awesome. And yes, we talked about roughing the passer. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast.
Brady working from the gun. Brady retreats. Looky, looky. Here comes Grady Jarrett. You shall not pass. Surely they didn't call slinging him down. This will be a horrendous call. This is going to be a horrendous call. They're going to call Grady Jarrett for slinging down Brady on this sack. This is a this is a horrend- this is not the intention of the call. Hits, misses, and messes. Time to talk football after hours with Amy Lawrence. It may have been the spark that lit a very explosive fire. And for that reason, that Grady Jarrett roughing the passer call against Tom Brady, Falcons, and Buccaneers going back to, what was it, week five, maybe week four? Uh, Roughing the passer has been under a spotlight, under a microscope since then. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Of course, that was one of the main reasons that we wanted to get Gene Steratore on the show. He always responds when we call, and we spoke to him on Tuesday. And there's a lot that I talked to Gene about, so I'd encourage you to grab the podcast, After Hours, AmyLawrence.com. But just to give you a taste... I actually asked Gene, oh, by the way, that was the call on Falcons Radio, I should say that. I asked Gene, before leading him, I I wanted to leave it wide open, how he would describe the first seven weeks of this NFL season from a referee's perspective. You know, I I, I don't, I wouldn't ever get hyperbolic and say it's worse than any other year or it's much greater or better than any other year or anything like that. I think it does truly, I do truly feel like every year it becomes a little more scrutinized. And I have to honestly admit, uh, you know, these rules analyst positions where now we do have someone of some knowledge that is at our, uh, you know, right, right in the real time moment to kind of elaborate a little more on something. And in some ways, that's also drawn a little more attention to some of the judgments. I think what I've noticed from the officiating part of it, we've had roughing the passer situations over the last couple of weeks, right? Sure. Ironically enough, roughing the passer is down, you know, around 30% in the total amount of roughing the passers called this year. The types of roughing that, that may have been called or may, you know, may have not been called, most, most of the ones we've talked about here that have been called. What happens in the officiating world, and it's a, it's a process through this journey of a season and into the postseason, and it's something that the crews talk about week in and week out, I'm sure, is as a, as a group of officials on a crew, if you have a play that you miss that, that's a rather obvious type of a mistake, that you hope you don't make, but if the game's fast, then these mistakes do occur. When you miss what I used to call with my crew and probably because of my crossover between both sports, when I would tell my football crew, look, we can't miss layups, right? You can't miss the layup. If you miss the layup as an offici- officiating crew in a game, that missed layup is, is truly you're going to lose any kind of hope in gaining any credibility on the 50-50 plays that are going to happen throughout the rest of that day now because uh-huh. you missed the layup, right? So you have to be aware of that, and, and, and that's how fine-tuned and aware you need to continue to stay because one mistake like that in a game causes you know skepticism for these other really hard, great plays. You're not going to get any love either. That also grows to the staff. Right, so if there's two or three of those plays that happen in a week or two weeks in a row, unfortunately, now the collective is before this game starts. Right, we're already thinking because of this attention 
on things that we have seen and thought, this is pretty obvious, they should get this, replay doesn't need to come in, or we don't need to watch this in slow motion. That starts to happen again. So really, it's a long season. These things happen. Uh, I think we went through a little bump like that here in the first month and a half or seven weeks of the season. Uh, And now the goal for the staff for the game, each crew is, listen, let's calm the waters, you know, become less, you know, less apparent here and, and let's get the big stuff and get back to, to the game. But, but inevitably, you know, it, it rears its head and it, it's part of the process. What are you trained to look for on roughing the passer? Well, that's even gotten more specific, even in the four years since I've been gone, Amy, but really what you're looking for in real time, which is, is, I can't emphasize that enough. I know we say that a lot on TV. And naturally, you know, the the people that really don't like the, the, the men and women in the stripes always say, <laughs> oh, here he goes again about his fraternity. Uh, the speed of this is, is really of a nature that it's extremely difficult to under, to, to, to explain that unless you are within... 10 feet of that action and the speed of that action. It's not even close. If you're sitting in rows four or five, you think, boy, you're close to this. And boy, it feels different. And it does. Right. But it exponentially grows from the fifth row to the field field now. Um, so in these windows of this two-second time frame that happens from when a defensive player gets at least within two yards or so of a quarterback who's in a passing posture and you're, you're taxed with the pass fumble situation as the ball gone. All these other elements come while you are trying to officiate about two yards ahead of this individual that has the ball because you have to see that, that defensive or that action prior to when it gets to that quarterback. There's body weight involved. It's does this person, this human being moving very fast, very large person coming to a posture player who's the only player on a football field that ever gets hit standing still yeah everyone else is moving when they get hit but not this player i know we hear a lot of all the the you know kind of the little phrases about how we're protecting this this position you have to remember that and and put the human element in that that's why these protections are in there and i can honestly say when you are very screwed into the game and aware the game does slow down, just like the players. It's one of the beauties of officiating. You get that same rush that an athlete who is really tied in and full focus gets. You also have to be very schooled on all the nuances that occur, and that concentration level can never lapse in. It just can't stop for a second. You don't blink between a play. There's no reason to. It's five seconds. Don't blink your eyes. It could be the difference between a pass fumble or where that hit occurs. But you also feel it, right? I mean, we all see it a little slower, but then there's a feel, the timing of it. Was it two steps or was it a step and a half? Now, I get to do the beautiful thing now and rewind it and count <laughs> one step, two. Oh, I can't believe he didn't call that or she didn't call that. Can't you see the second foot just landed before the contact occurred? And everybody goes, you know, we go crazy on, on TV and the viewers that are unhappy with you know, the, the call or the non-call, but a lot of that's a feel. It's what makes the craft something that's extremely, you know, uh, hard to do and, and very hard to continue to do for a long period of time, which is why you fall in love with it 
and you become a ref nerd like me. (laughs) We went through this process where the NFL overreacted and instituted replay for pass interference, and we all know what happened to that, Gene. It was very short-lived because it was not a good idea as a judgment call. Would it be a bad idea then to try to install some type of review for roughing the passer? I think we'd go down the same place, Amy. Gotcha. You know, we're, we're, we're in the judgments. We're in the, we're in the areas where a little bit of gray, uh, called or not called at times, is also very good for the game. Uh, and I believe that as well. This game can't be officiated by the letter of the law in every specific nuance. It can't. The, the game would not be good. There is holding that's taking place, some restriction. Does it materially affect the play? Does somebody gain an unfair advantage as a result of it in that art? of those types of questions that officials answer in their mind in rapid succession comes the game. And, and you must keep that to where it is in my humble opinion. I think when we go down the rabbit hole, I think we're, we're opening up this. I knew that that is what Gene would say, opening up this can of worms because review for a judgment call it, it doesn't work. The NFL tried it. It was an unmitigated disaster, which is why all of a sudden it just disappeared. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. I also asked Gene about the appearance. It didn't turn out that the two officials were asking Mike Evans for an autograph. That's confirmed by Mike as well as the NFL. But the appearance of of fraternizing with players and where he tells new officials to draw the line. And then in addition to that, we, we talked about some of the more challenging calls for him. And also... I asked him for the first time, what happens when officials get it wrong? What penalties are there when officials screw up? What he said to me about the number of calls uh, for him, if he got a certain number of calls wrong in a year, it would mean a really bad season. I think you'd be blown away by the number that he gave, but I'm not going to spoil any more of it. You need to check it out on our podcast, Gene Steratore. With us here after hours, amylawrence.com. Just before we hit the top of the hour, I'm sure many of you saw the headline that a Moscow court rejected Brittany Griner's appeal. And so she, while I think it was expected, she is now settling into this sentence that she's received on drug charges. Trumped up though they may be, certainly she's being made an example of. uh, This is not a result that, should catch anybody off guard. There was no way that the Russian court was going to lighten her sentence or consider her appeal. And she's in another country where our rules and I know our justice system is not perfect. It's far from it. But uh, th- this was never going to be a fair procedure for Brittany. And I also heard, this is makes me much sadder, that the conversations about a prisoner swap, because it's her and it's a retired journalist that the Americans uh, or the the United States government would like to bring home, that Americans would like to bring home. Uh, Right now, the conversations over any type of prisoner swap have completely died out. Um, And I guess that doesn't really surprise me either, considering the U.S. role in supporting Ukraine in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And so right now there's been no communication going back to the summertime. Uh, So just really sad for her, whether or not you like Brittany or you follow the WNBA. It's just one of those life situations that is tragic and is painful. And 
she's in jail away from her family, and it could be years before anything changes. So thinking of her and want to pray for her and her family as she's in Russia, plus this retired journalist who's also over there and is incarcerated. All right, we'll talk to you tonight. Survive your Wednesday. It's After Hours CBS Sports Radio. Boom!